0: Every week we gather around the word. We center our prayers on the word. We center this time of teaching on the word. This first Sunday of the year, we also wanted to gather around the Lord's table. And so at the end of the message today, we're going to have an opportunity to come to a time of communion where we certainly are communing with the Lord. He's present with us, but we're also communing with each other. Uh, as you have sung, I hope uh, God has spoken to you. We're going to look at Isaiah 12. If you're new to Ogletown, we've been actually going through the first few chapters of Isaiah. So I'm going to ask Jamie Kazalka to come and read. It's a promise, uh, really a prophecy that God's people will praise him much in the same way we've done today. So Isaiah 12, uh, she'll read the whole chapter.
1: Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel.
0: Thank you so much for reading, Jamie. I hope that you keep your Bibles... Uh, open or screen on accessible so that as we look into God's Word this morning, you're able to track along what Isaiah is promising, what he is prophesying will happen. When you read Isaiah 12, it's a little bit like you're, you're walking in, especially if you've read chapters 1 to 11, it's like you're walking into a closet and you find something you just didn't expect to see there, or you open a drawer, and it's like that seems a little bit out of place because Isaiah 1 to 11 is really a testament to Israel's bad decisions an Israel uh, a testament to how the kings of Israel did not trust the Lord like they should and yet right here in Isaiah 12 we have this word of testimony this declaration of praise to the Lord and there can only be a declaration of praise to the Lord because of something that was uh, talked about last week pastor Evan preach from Isaiah 11, and there is this passage in Isaiah 11, 1, right there at the beginning that says the reason why we can praise the Lord in the first place is a promised one would come, this descendant of Jesse, this shoot of Jesse, this descendant of David, who will change things. That descendant, Jesus came, He's the Messiah, and He flips the script on everything that was troubling Israel. He will be someone that can be worshiped and can be praised and And so when we open Isaiah 12, we start with a a phrase like, you'll say in that day, in that day when this root of Jesse, this descendant of David comes, and that day you are going to have reason to praise. You're going to have reason to say, great is the Lord's faithfulness. You're going to have reason to say, boldly we can approach the throne of grace to find help in our time of need for those who are hearing these words and believe in this descendant of Jesse, this shoot uh, of Jesse, for those who believe in that, I I want this passage in Isaiah 12, and we're going to take just a few minutes to look at it. I want it to be a motivator to us to say, I ought to be worshiping like I just heard Isaiah say we would be worshiping. I I ought to be praising the Lord like that. And then I also wanted to evaluate our hearts to say, if I'm not, if if even today's singing, time of singing, my heart really was not engaged, what's, what's going on and what needs to change in my heart? So there's pictures of, of an envisioned future that Isaiah gives to the people. He says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you. What, what he's saying is God is going to do such a deep work in your life. You're going to have such a deep experience of God that you're going to have something on your lips and, and I want you to see, first of all, the picture that he gives is individually, there's going to be a response that changes because God has done such a work in your heart. He says, you will say in that day, that day when the descendant of David comes, when Jesus arrives, which we know from our, our perspective, he has arrived. When that day comes, you will have new things to say. You will say, I give thanks to you, God. You will say, behold, God is my salvation. He is my strength. He is my song in verse 2. He's become my salvation. Look how God is characterized. And, and these are words that maybe if you've come to church a, a lot, you, you could have grown, I don't know, maybe too familiar with at times. But when it says that God is our salvation, that means He preserves, He delivers, He gives us safety, He is our victory. When it says that God is our strength, we sing songs like He, we are firm through the fiercest drought and storm, and that is because The Lord is our strength, and He is keeping us as our refuge and strength so that we are just not knocked over by the tidal wave that life can be sometimes. He's our song. We have something to delight in. These descriptions of God, He's my my salvation. He's my strength. He's my song. It it should move our hearts, at least it does. Isaiah says, you're going to say on that day, not only is God my my salvation and my strength and my song, but you're going to say that I can trust. I can, I can give thanks to Him. I can trust in Him. I can rely on Him. I, I'm not just believing in fairy tales. I can weight everything that I believe in on Him. I can fill, fill myself with confidence because of Him. I, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be anxious. So, we walk in here with a thousand things on our mind, but because God is our salvation and our strength and our song, we don't have to be overwhelmed with anxiety and fear because we just don't know what's going to happen. We know we don't know what's going to happen, but God is our strength that moves our heart to sing. As Isaiah says, you are going to say, I will give thanks, I will trust, I will, I will not be afraid. You're not just going to say those things, things because you've read about them somewhere. You're not just going to say, God is my salvation because you grew up in a Christian home and you just always knew that was what was going to be said. But he takes, he takes us into a, an experience that we can certainly relate to. He says, you can say, God is my salvation, because look at verse 1, because you know that at a point in time, God was angry with us because of our sin. Isaiah's talked about this in almost every chapter up to this point, but certainly in chapter 1 and chapter 6, we hear Isaiah saying, right, woe is me, for I'm a man that's just ruined, because I have unclean lips, I dwell, and I I dwell with people that we're, we're all unclean. How can we be rescued? It is right that God's anger would be on us for our sins. We morally haven't lived like we should. Relationally, we've hurt one another. God's anger could be upon us. That would be right. We would expect that. But actually, it says, no, His anger is not on us. You were angry with me, but now your anger has turned away. It's become so personal. We, we have something to say. We, we know this not just because someone told it, but because we've experienced it as well. God turns away His anger. It doesn't strike. It's not even just delayed. God has moved from anger to full comfort mode. God alleviates our sorrow. God alleviates our distress. He turns to us and supports and strengthens, which is why we can say, pardon for sin, a peace that endures, your presence that cheers and guides, strength for today, hope for tomorrow. We can say those things because we know God has not moved toward us in anger, but He's rescued us. He's moved toward us in grace. This is things He's felt, which is why in verse 2, notice how it ends. This is God, you have become my salvation. I've seen it for my, myself. I've, I've tasted it. I know what it means for you to become my salvation. This is just the language all over Scripture when Moses leads God's people out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, and there's this song of praise, Exodus 15. Moses and the people sing, they they say this, I will sing to the Lord because He has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. David says in Psalm 118, the Lord is my strength, my song. He's become my salvation. God's people praise. God's people sing. God's people give thanks. And so, the question would be, if this is what should happen, if this is what happens when we have a really clear grasp of who God is and what He's done in our life, as you heard God's Word read, as you heard the songs that were sung, did that sound like something that matches your own heart and your own speech? I wonder if the words of Isaiah 12 sounded much like your words this week or my words this week. If we were to hold up the times we talked about God? Were, were there any? Were there many? Did it sound much like Isaiah 12? I will give thanks because you're my God, you're my salvation, you're my strength, you're my song. If you were to hold those up, what would it be like? Would it, would it correspond? What's going on in your heart as you hear the songs of praise that we've sung today? Is it moving you? Do you, do you hear in that, like, well, that's my story, because this God who is sovereign and in control moved toward me in love. This is my story. So, yes, I will echo the words of Isaiah. You are my salvation. You have become my salvation, because when I had, sin was just ruling my life, and I was overwhelmingly controlled by the guilt and shame that sin brought. You came to my rescue. You brought me out of this. Is this our story? Is this our song. Jesus has saved us. He is through Him, we're adopted into the family of God. When my heart is really dialed into the Lord, then that's what I'm going to be saying. That's what I'm going to be thinking. There aren't going to be days, weeks, months that pass without me reflecting on this fact. The Lord is my strength and my song and my salvation. That's the way it's going to work. But you know, the person that doesn't have that on their mind… The person that isn't singing those kinds of things, when, when you and I both go to the place where Isaiah 12 is almost like a foreign language to us, or something that's not a regular practice to us, the reason why we go there is because maybe functionally we don't believe that really is our story to begin with. We don't really believe functionally that we really need it delivered from anything anyway. Could it be that the reason why we don't see the Lord as our salvation, as our Savior, is because we look at our own lives and we think, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. Is it possible? Is it just possible that there's maybe a half a dozen, a dozen people in this room that are so moral and so righteous, they never do anything wrong? is that you nothing nothing glaring nothing hidden if so then you would not need a savior could it be that there are those in this room that are so perfect in dealing with others that even as family visits went on over the christmas break there was there was no harsh words you said no no unreasonable expectations you put on people. If that's you, then I would understand why there would be no need to rejoice in a Savior. You would not need saving. Could there be a person who is so competent and consistent that they never reach any limitations? They, they only know I can do everything all the time. Well, then you wouldn't need a Savior. Could there be a person that is so wise that they've consistently known and done the right thing since they could remember? they have always done it right. Not one time have they done it wrong. Could there be a person that is so independent that they never needed to ask someone for help? Well then, that kind of person doesn't need a savior. They're not going to sing to the Lord, you're my salvation, you're my strength, you're my song, because they don't need that. But I have to ask a question. Is that really anybody in this room? I certainly don't mean to insult anybody, but it would be hard for me to believe anybody would actually think they are that good, that perfect, that moral, that righteous, that wise, that competent, that consistent. I think most of us know the reality is, if I think I'm my own savior, I'm a fool. If I think I'm my own rescuer or that I don't need saving, I'm a fool. No one is that good. You need something better. You need something truer. You need a story where God comes to the rescue. And that is exactly what is driving Isaiah to sing and to prophesy, to promise you will, in that day, you will sing. You will give thanks. It's a promise individually, but I love what happens beginning in verse three because the first two verses are individually. An individual response. When you come to verses 3, you actually have a community response. And the way we know that is in verse 3, the word you is plural in the original language. English doesn't help us a lot here because you can say you singular, you plural. So we have to say something like you all, you guys, you ones," y'all. You have to find something to say, yeah, yeah, I'm not just meaning you, I'm meaning like everybody, you all. And when you come to verse 3, that's, that's the switch that's happened. Verse 1 is like individually, you're going to say, I will give thanks. But you come to verse 3, it's like, yeah, all of us, all the people of God are going to have this on our lips. We are going to, with joy, draw water from the wells of salvation. We're going to go to that well again and again and again and again and find hope and life and refreshment. This is exactly, I think, what Jesus had in mind in John chapter 4 when he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. He says to the Samaritan woman at the well, the water that I will give him or her will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So I could say on John 7, on the last day of the feast, he stands up and with a loud voice he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is Verse 3, it's in Isaiah 12, it's the well of salvation where you go back again and again and again. You go to that well, and again you realize, yeah, my salvation wasn't just some fire insurance I needed decades ago that may help me if I stand before St. Peter or whatever, whatever you have in mind. That end judgment is like, that salvation is something that I need daily. I need daily rescue, the Lord coming to my aid. And so I'll go to the well Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and God will be faithful again and again and again. So I come with joy knowing when I go to that well, I'm never disappointed. The people of God get great joy, derive great pleasure from drawing from that well of salvation. That's why we could say, this is my story. This is my song. I can praise my Savior all the day long. As a matter of fact, verse 4 says, you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. Do you notice what happens in verse 4? It's not just a, and an individual will say, but you now corporately, you will say, give thanks. So it's actually us talking to each other saying, you know what we ought to do? We ought to give thanks to the Lord. We ought to call on His name. We ought to pray to Him. We ought to invoke His name. And when you, when you think about even that kind of phrase, the word name, call upon His name, and you think, well, Isaiah 7 talks about His name. Call His name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9 talks about this name that is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know this name. We can call on this name. We can pray then it says, actually, let's go public with this. Let's, let's call upon His name. Let's make known His deeds among the peoples. Let's make sure people realize what's going on here. Make sure they really get it. Make sure they're not just getting like a partial glimpse of God. We want them to know fully who this God is. We don't want people playing religion. We want people to know who God is. We want people to have a deep experience with Him. We want to make known his deeds, all the great things that he's done. We want to make sure that people know that. We want to make sure people know, yeah, all this that exists, it exists because of him. All the joys that we've had, we would not have one of them if it were not for him. We want every person on the planet to know that. We want to make known his deeds among the people. We want to proclaim that his name is lifted up, it's exalted. It's interesting sometimes watching our our culture when someone's name gets lifted up. When people start paying attention to them, maybe they become famous, maybe there's this great achievement that they've done, maybe they've gained some notoriety, they become more and more popular, more and more famous. It's not uncommon as someone's name is lifted up, that then some accusation or some revelation comes out. Yeah, they're not quite what they pretended to be. We know this story. We know this story way too well. Some video emerges. Some person recalls a certain event. And we're immediately having to deal with this person whose name has been lifted up. Yeah, we can't really trust them because they misrepresented who they were at the core. What about when God's name is lifted up, is heralded, when the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up? There's nothing that's going to come out about who He is and what He's done where we go, oh, I just, I can't believe He would say something like that. I can't believe He would do something like that. His name is lifted up. We want to proclaim His name, make sure it is exalted. The the theme of evangelism continues even in verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord for He has done gloriously what He has done. Like when God does something, He knows how to do it, and He always does it well. He always does it right. Let this be made known in all the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. Use your voice for purposes to tell that the way He does things is really unparalleled. We use our voice to say, man, this was great. This thing was great. This person was great. This experience was great. This video was great. This game was great. We we use our voices like that all the time. And Isaiah is saying, in that day, you're going to use your voice to say, not just this game, this person, this experience was great. You're going to use your voice to say, he is great. You're going to use your voice to say, I want to talk about faithfulness. Here's a faithful father who has heard of all our requests and answers them in such a wise, loving way. Let that be known in all the earth. Praise him for his deeds. They're they're just too good. They're just too big. They're just too much. The things that he's made to happen, the babies that have learned to walk and talk, the, the way he arranges for people to meet, the way he works things out that are tragic for good, the way he rescues people from the pit, that that they were headed down. The, The way he does all this is just too good. We've got to make that known. David talks like this when the ark comes to Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles 16, he says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, and make sure his deeds are known among the peoples. You go to a worldwide scope, like over 7 billion people in the world, they all need to know about God's greatness. They all need to know that he has worked in a saving way in Jesus Christ. They all need to know that He has risen from the dead. He has conquered death, hell, the grave, sin. They all need to know that. But then I love how this I, Isaiah 12 closes. Because in verse 6, it, we've gone to like this worldwide scope, but then it just gets singular again. It gets very individual again. It says, shout and sing for joy, the one who, in, who dwells in Zion, the inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's just like kind of go out to the world and go, everybody ought to know. Absolutely. But then can we just dial it back into you individually today? I, I don't want to take too many liberties with the passage, but what if we said and kind of rearranged some of this today? And we said, Shout and just sing for joy. The one who dwells in Newark, Delaware this morning, because you have gathered where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, and the Holy One of Israel is present right here. Shout and sing for joy. What song should you just hold back? What emotion should be like, ah, let's not show too much here. What would, what would be the right response when we know the Holy One is present with us today in all of His greatness when we hear this? Does it sound like something that should inform our speech, should inform our, our vocabulary, should inform our thoughts and our ambitions? Who would not want to be right here with Isaiah 12 saying, yeah, I, I, I want this to be true of my heart? Oh, but the fact is, Again, I don't necessarily talk like this, sing like this, think like this when I'm looking to something else or someone else to save me. When I've taken the God who is the king of the universe and I've said, yeah, it's great and all, but I actually need her to like me. And his opinion really, really, I need that and I need this promotion and I need my health. And I need my retirement to be a certain way. And I need my family situation to be a certain way. And then when that happens, I'll trust. And I won't be afraid. And I'll give thanks because my bank account says I'm okay. Because my relationships say I'm okay. Because how I'm doing life says I'm okay. You see, I begin to evaluate my own heart and go, okay, if I'm if I'm not dialed into the praise that is just erupting in Isaiah 12, then maybe it's because I have another Savior working in my heart. Maybe there's something else that has displaced the Lord. And if that's true, then church, our story needs to change. We need to see things in a different way. We need to look at our circumstances and say, God, I will give thanks. I will find joy. I will be a grateful person. How could I not be? The Lord God is my strength. Before a meal, before, a, or right in the middle of a crisis. If I'm like living in what's going on in this, in these words of Isaiah, would I not invoke God's name? Would I not say, God, you're my salvation? Would I not ask and seek and knock? If I'm really living this out, would I recall and rehearse a life story where I'm not the hero? Wouldn't I recall a life story, even in the, the next few moments, wouldn't I recall a life story where, left to my own guidance, I would have just made a wreck of my life. I would have messed this all up. If it were not for the Lord saving me, my strength would not be enough to carry me through and, and do the right thing and, and be what I need to be, what God's created me to be. If it were not for the Lord being my song, my heart would be bitter and it'd be anxious and it'd be hurt and I would blame everybody else. Would that not be my story? But God has changed my story. If it were not for the Lord, would would I not be just entangled in an addiction that I could not break free from? But the Lord is my salvation. You see how this prompts and and moves a different kind of story. We tell a a different story and, and the story is certainly not where Curtis is the hero. That's where, yet again, the Lord came to our rescue. We need reminders of that story, and I think think that's why Jesus knew for our good we would need to rehearse this often, that yes, the Lord is our salvation, and, and so we're going to come to a time where we say, there is no other body that was broken for me. There is no other blood that could be shed for me. That's why, Lord, you are my strength and you are my song. Which is why I would ask that if you've not encountered the Lord in this way, this isn't just a religious ritual. This is saying to the Lord, you are, my, you are my salvation exclusively. So if that's you, I want to invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper today. But if you'd say, you know, I've not come to a place where I've like, publicly recognized that Jesus is my Savior, and as the trays are passed, just, uh, it will not be a problem for you just to pass that along. But we'd love to have a conversation more to say... You need a savior. You need a rescuer. This story says we have no other strength. But even as the deacons prepare to serve us, we are reminded as long as we eat this bread, as long as we drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to say, even by our actions in just a moment, as we take the bread and juice together, you're my salvation. You're my strength. You're my song. Let me pray. Oh Lord, our our hearts get cold and they they get dry and we don't feel the warmth and we don't we don't taste and see that you're good. We don't do that nearly enough, but in this first Sunday of the new year, I pray that we would remind ourselves again. Where else would we look to be saved? Would we look to our own strength? Would we look to our own help? Our own resources. No, that's no salvation at all. This morning, may we remind ourselves again that we can give thanks to You because Your anger has been turned away, and now we know we have been rescued. Lord, may we be filled with thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, amen.